this morning in church. For the next little bit this morning, we're here in the book of Ephesians. Let's uh, focus in on the message this morning. We don't have a ton of time. Well, we do. Well, actually, this is the last service of the day. We got till 1, 2 o'clock. Then those are going to the beach. We can just leave right after. So we'll just stick around till then. So take your shoes off, relax, get your pillow out. We'll be here for a while, so no, I'm just kidding. So um, Ephesians chapter 1, we've been talking about and going through this passage of Scripture and seeing our identity in the Lord. And so as we dive in, we see from verse number 3 through verse number 14, we see an anthem of praise from Paul to the Lord for several things. Verse 3 through 6, we see Paul praises God for a sovereign work in our lives. And you can see those verses there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good, to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We see in these verses here, we see that Paul praises God for his sovereign work and salvation. God, verse 3 lets us know just and reminds us of the fact of how good God truly is. Hey, this morning, church, Christian, this morning, God is good. He blesses us. He's done so much for us. When's the last time you just focused and paused for a few minutes and thought about His goodness to you? No, we get so wrapped up in everything going on around us, we forget to praise Him. And think about His sovereign work. He saved us. He chose us before the foundation of the world, the Bible says here. He's adopted us. He's done all these things. He's so very good to us. And as we look at our text here, we see verse 3 through 6, he praises God for his sovereign work in our lives. Verse 7 through 10, we see that Paul praises God for his saving work. Look at those verses in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. We see that Paul reminds us here that God sent his Son into the world to redeem us from our sins. Through his precious blood, we've been redeemed, forgiven of our sins. And God, in his great grace, opened our eyes to our lost condition. And what a Savior Jesus is. See, the first three verses have to deal with God the Father. The next three deal with God the Son. And then today, verse 11 through 14, we see it deals with the Holy Spirit and his sharing work in our lives and the things that he's done. I want to take a few minutes this morning and consider these truths that are presented before us I want to share with you why God is to be praised for his sharing work. Number one, we see the place of God's sharing work. Number one, the place of God's sharing work. God's greatest gifts, his salvation and his blessings cannot be found just anywhere. We see verse number 11 right away, in whom. I've got to quit. Uh, we got, I'm getting very distracted this morning. So maybe it's because I had one service my mind can't focus on two. I don't know what it is. But um, let's, try, let's try for the next little bit just to sit and pay attention to the Word of God. And I know it's the devil trying to distract me. It's not anyone in here. So it's in my head. It's not anyone else's head. It's my head this morning. And if you could get inside of Brian's head every once in a while, you'd be shocked what's in there. And you'd be like, why are you pastoring this church? I don't know, but good thing you couldn't see my head when you voted me in. But anyways, all right, so here we go. 
the place of God's sharing work, letter A, they're found in a person. The Bible says right there in verse number 11, in whom? Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. All of our blessings that God gives to us are in Christ. God's blessings are found in the relationship we have with Christ and in Him. That's where it all comes from. Everyone in this world has some blessings from God. Air to breathe. The air, the air belongs to God. I know government might try to tax it at some point, but it's not their right to tax us on our air. No, what are they going to do? Oh, well, Brian weighs this, so he sucks in that much air, so we're going to tax him just that much. And then that's a skinnier person over here, so we're not going to tax them as much. You think that sounds crazy. I could see it happening at some point. But anyways, God gave us the air. He's given us a beautiful world to live in. There are a lot of blessings that he's blessed all of us with. The Bible tells us he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And there are some blessings that all, every person that lives in this world enjoys. But there are special blessings reserved for the child of God. When we're saved, think about this this morning, church. You are adopted into his family. Your sins, which are many, my sins, which are many, as we sang his mercies more, our sins, they're forgiven this morning. We're promised a home in heaven. Our lives have been changed. We're new creatures. Old things are passed away and all things become new. The Father's promised to us to abide with us, to supply all of our needs, to love us and to bless us. And that's just what He does. He's so good to us. We see that our blessings, though, everything comes from Christ. You know, some things in religion we think, well, if we do this, or if this happens, or if I am this way. No, your blessings and what God does is based on Jesus Christ. Nothing that we did. Sometimes we get things so high of ourselves, there's nothing special about us. We're all just a bunch of dirt balls. You know it's true. Some of us have more dirt than others, but we're just a bunch of dirt balls. He's been so good to us. Our blessings are found in Jesus Christ. Letter B, we see that as we look here and we, the place of God's sharing work, letter B, we see they're found in a plan. Look at the rest of verse number 11. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And there's a word that some Baptists don't like to use, predestinated. Do you see it's right there in the Bible? It's a Bible word. Sometimes we get a little scared by a word like that. Nothing to be scared about. Men like to complicate the Bible. They do. Religion complicates the Bible. Complicates God. Salvation is simple. This meaning of predestination things, it's not that hard to figure out. The problem is we have a lot of people who like to think that they can figure God out and know everything he does and how he does it you will never fully understand God. His ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts our thoughts. Don't, and just trust him. That's what we got to do. So we look here, we see they're found in a plan. Paul says that we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The word predestinated means appointed or destined. It refers to the plan that God the Father made for His people sometime in the past. When we speak of election, which we did a few weeks ago, I explained it to you that before the foundation of the world, He chose us. 
predestination has nothing to do with salvation. It's found in our sanctification. Romans 8, verse number 29, for whom he did foreknow, that they may also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that they might be firstborn among many brethren. Verse 29 there, Joe. I skipped verse 28. I don't always give the sound guy cue cards what to do. But you see there? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, God predestined every event in the life of the child of his. Verse number 12, you look and see at our text here, it says, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Do you see? God, and we've read that verse, it's on the screen still. God has a plan to make us more like Jesus. The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. But do you realize God knows what we need to be more like him? We don't always like that. So we think, I don't like what I'm going through in life. Could you ever think that God has you going through it for a reason? God, take it away! The Bible talks about let patience have her perfect work that it may be entire wanting thing, the Bible says. And sometimes we go through things and we look at it, but God, the steps of a good man, the Bible says, they're ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 3, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not to our own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You see, this morning, as we talk about his sharing work and the place of it, they're found in a person in Jesus Christ. They're found in a plan. God has a plan, and that plan is at work. And while we're here, all the events of life are ordered by the Lord to make us more like Jesus. And someday when this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption, we'll be just like he is, the Bible says. But God knows what he's doing. He's at work. Paul goes on to tell us that God performs his predestination. Look at what it says. According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The word worketh there speaks of ongoing energetic activity. It's a picture of God who is actively energetically involved in assuring that his purposes are fulfilled and his will is accomplished. God has a plan. And though our world may look like at times God is nowhere to be found, God knows exactly what he's doing. And Christian, believer in your life today, you might not understand all the details and what's going on. God does. Trust him. Isn't it wonderful to know, and as we think about these things, that God is determined for us to be with him where he is? The Bible says, and you think about this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't that wonderful to know? That where he is, that's where we're going to be someday. God desires that his people, and we see there the word counsel is used refers to God's determined purpose that cannot be changed. The word will means God's desire. And God's desire is that his people will obtain an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. We see that they're found in a person in Jesus Christ. They're found in a plan. They're also found in his pleasure. Look at verse number 11. 
the end of it, it says, after the counsel of his own will. And look at verse 12. It says that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Verse number 14 says again, unto the praise of his glory. Paul's telling us here that all the blessings we enjoy in Jesus Christ, whether heavenly or earthly in nature, come to us through the heart of a God who delights in blessing his people. I have a hard time comprehending that. Brian knows Brian. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know how I am. And he finds pleasure in blessing me. Think about who for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12, 2, endured the cross. What joy putting up with me? That's not joy. Putting up with you, trust me, that's not joy either. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, the Bible says. For what? For us. And I, don't com- I can't comprehend that very well. But what I can say is, praise the Lord and thank you. We're not worthy of it, but I'm thankful that he blesses us. And it pleases him to do so. We see number one this morning, the place of God's sharing work. Number two, we see the purpose of God's sharing work. All of God's blessings arise from our relationship to him through Jesus Christ. They come to us solely in his good pleasure. If you are saved today, you are a candidate for the blessings of God. If you're not in him, you need to get saved. If you come to Jesus, you'll become a candidate for God's blessings. When we talk about these things, why? what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of his sharing work? Well, we see it found in verse number, verse number 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We see letter A, to reveal the glory, his glory, through us. In other words, God saved us to reveal his glory to a lost world. When the world sees a saint of God or a Christian, if that helps you there, they see a living, breathing testament to God's saving power. Bible tells us here in Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word workmanship translated here is a word which means a work or that which is made. We get our English word poem from it. It refers to an artist's master work, an artist's master work, the crowning creation of his ability and talent. And God points to those who he's redeemed by his grace, and he says that we represent the pinnacle of his power. Our lives are to be a testament to the glory of God's saving power through Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, the world is watching. And that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verses 1-3. through 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some other epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Look at verse 2. Ye are our epistles written in your hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, 
written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Some, of the, some, of, some people in this world, the closest they will ever get to a Bible is your life. That's powerful. How's your witness? Are you a sorry witness? How are you today? When the world reads your life, what do they learn? Do they learn that Jesus Christ changes everything he touches? Or do they see that the power of God means nothing in your life? You answer that question for yourself this morning. Do they see that it doesn't really make no difference that he's in your life? Paul used the word trusted there in verse number 12. It's the sense in the tense that suggests an ongoing trust that alters the life of the one trusting. It's a once-for-all trust that changed everything. When you place your trust in Christ, you become a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. That change will manifest itself in a new life and your continual desire to live for God. The child of God, as long as we're here on earth, will never be perfect. Never. But a child of God will be different, and it should show until the day we leave this world. When this world looks at you, what do they see? Yesterday, I did a funeral here, a memorial service, and I wasn't able, a pastor friend of mine, probably, I call him one of my heroes, he, um, he, donated, he, gave us, he gave me this piano a few years ago, one day in our church. He passed away a couple weeks ago. Um, Clint Miller, Pastor Nescondido, a great man. His service I got to watch on Facebook because I couldn't be there. But there were two things that people said over and over again. He loved God and he loved people. That's all I heard. Now, they talked about for a little bit the B.C. Clint Miller, before Christ. And that didn't, there wasn't a lot of good things to say. And even his wife, he was one bad dude. He was one, that was his wife said that. But after he got saved, he loved God and he loved people. Isn't that our goal? When it's our time to die and people come to our funeral, what will they say about you and me? I would hope it would be he loved God and he loved people. can't think of anything better to be said. Oh, there's one other thing they said about him. He was a great soul winner. That would be a terrible thing to hear at a funeral, wouldn't it? Love God, love people, and love soul winning. What would be said about you? What would be said about me? Our lives, we see there in verse number 12, to the praise of his glory. It's what our lives should be lived for. He's redeemed us been so good to us we see that the purpose of it is to reveal his glory through us letter b is to reveal his gifts to us part of the purpose in saving us is for his own glory the other part is to do with god revealing his grace through our inheritance in jesus christ verse 11 says we've obtained an inheritance the word inheritance refers to something assigned to another a heritage everyone has a heritage in the room 
Some of us, it's a good heritage. Some of it's a, eh, and some of it's not so good heritage. You know, I was privileged. My parents were saved going to church before I was ever born. God's given me a good heritage. Some in the room, you're the first generation in your family that's gotten saved. And your childhood and the things that you grew up with, they were not very good. Some people have a godly heritage to look back on and some don't. If you don't have a godly heritage to look back on, get a godly heritage now and teach it to your children and give them a godly heritage to carry on. But, look, but the Bible, think about this, regardless, regardless of the kind of heritage we have behind us, we have a wonderful inheritance from God. He promises us peace, love. He promises us grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth. Ooh, those are some good things right there, aren't they? Some of us are just sitting here daylight. like, what? He's given us a lot of things. Fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, and it all comes from Him. And while we have great blessings God's provided for us here, we have even greater blessings in the future. The Bible tells us in... Uh, <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, we see the Bible say, Blessed, and look at this verse, I want you to see it. See it with your eyes, look up at the verse. Everyone in the room, look up at the verse. Seeing everybody looking up. Say, Pastor, why are you having everybody look? Because I feel very distracted this morning. And it could just be me, but I feel like a lot of us are distracted this morning. And if you'll just focus in on the Word of God for a few minutes this morning... Nothing that I say is going to help you very much, but the stuff that the Bible says here could really help you today. And some of you that maybe the reason you're a little distracted and not focusing might be you just need to get your focus on the Lord, and if you just look real close, you can see a few things that could be a help to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto, look at this, a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the look at the next verse, verse number four, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse five, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. And we have an inheritance like none other. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. What a Savior we have. We see the place of God's sharing work. We see the purpose of God's sharing work. And then number three, we see the promise of God's sharing work. When we are in Jesus Christ, we are in a place where we can enjoy great blessings of God. And he shares that with us. Paul tells us in these last two verses, verse 13 and 14 here, about the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing up to Jesus, bring Jesus to us in salvation, and his work in our lives after we're saved. I want you to see this very clearly. Letter A, we see, as we talk about the promise of God sharing work, we see it is seen in his saving work. Verse 13 says, look at verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
In short, right here, Paul's explaining to us how we got saved. We see it very clearly right here. The Bible tells us, and it makes it very clear for us. When the gospel's preached, and any of us that are saved this morning, the Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart of your need for salvation. That's how it works. Sometimes I feel we as Christians, we like to be salesmen. We're not selling anybody anything. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was knocking doors, and man, this one neighborhood, there were eight straight doors of no soliciting signs on the doors. Now, I normally don't knock on no soliciting doors just because I don't want to make people mad. Do I feel like I'm soliciting by giving them a gospel track? No, because I'm not selling anybody anything. I'm offering them salvation in Jesus Christ, but most people don't see it that way. So there's one house, I went up this driveway, and literally, it was a long driveway, and you made a left to go up towards the door. You made a left, it went for a little bit, then you made a right, and then you get to the front door. Right as soon as you made that left off the driveway, it said, no soliciting. A little sign. A few feet later, yeah, I'm talking to you. (laughs) And then there was another sign that said, don't knock on my door if you're selling something. And then I turned, and as I keep on going, there was three more signs And then the very last one said, we've already met Jesus. We already have the vacuum cleaner we need. We don't want solar, and we don't want this. But if you have thin mint cookies, you can give them to, or however, you've probably seen those before. And uh, one time, I was in a funny mood when I was knocking doors. And the door had that sign that said, if you have thin mint cookies, you can knock on the door. So I went to Stater's. And uh, they have, uh, you know, the thin mint Girl Scout ones, they're good but they're expensive. And the packages, maybe I'm just getting bigger. As a kid, it seemed a lot bigger, and now they seem small, very small. And you pay like an arm and a leg for one little bag, and then my kids get to it, and they're gone before I can do anything with it. So is it Keebler, I think, has a very good option for that, and it's less than half the price. Grasshoppers, that's what they're called. See, somebody knows what they're called. So I went into Staters, and I bought a thing of cookies. I went and knocked on their door. When I do stuff like that, though, that's why I carry other churches' tracks because I leave their tracks with them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I don't ever do that. I knocked on the door. They didn't even laugh. They didn't even take the cookies. I thought, you have this sign on your door. They didn't even think it was funny. So they just gave me this dumb look, and I left. So (laughs) praise God, though, I had a package of cookies for myself, so the Lord blessed, and all worked out great. But in Christianity, salvation, we're not selling anybody anything. You know, I could probably get anybody in this world to pray a prayer with me. I really think I could. That's not salvation. The Spirit of God does the work. You give the message and the verses, but the Spirit of God does the work. Sometimes I think Christians think we need to be sal- We don't need to be salesmen. You go with me soul winning at a door, and I know some people, Pastor, you're a terrible soul winner. The Spirit of God's not working. I'm not going to make someone pray. I was with someone one time in our church, and they, they aren't here anymore, so I can talk about them. So if, you're not, if you don't go to our church anymore, then I can talk about you. But I won't say your name, but anyways, we went to this door, and this person was not interested in the gospel at all. And this guy just kept pressing him and pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. And then he gets all the way through and he says, we're going to pray together. Pastor, lead him in the prayer. 
Like, I'm not getting involved in this. You're the one forcing someone to pray. He almost, literally almost took the arm behind the back and twisted up till they said, dear Lord, save me. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be. We see here in the scriptures, we see in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when we think about that, the Bible tells us what is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. And we see as we look back at verse number 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now look what it says. In whom also after ye believed. Not only do you got to hear it, you got to believe it. I was witnessing to a man one time. When I was witnessing to him, I got through all of it and he said, well, I believe Jesus died on the cross, but there's no way he rose again. So well, I'm sorry. You can't have salvation. It's like, why? Because you don't believe had one guy one time witnessing to him. He's like, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm going to heaven because I trusted in God. There is no way. There's one way. He's the truth. He's the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by him. You can say you're trusting in God, but if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ and his finished work and what he did, there is no salvation. We see this in the saving work. I was a seven-year-old boy. And the Holy Spirit of God, as I heard the gospel, worked on my heart. He convicted me of my need for a Savior. That's what salvation is all about. We see it seen in his saving work. And then look at the end of verse number 13. It says, In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When a believer in Jesus is saved... The Bible says that we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's a wonderful truth found right here in this verse. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you get saved, you're sealed. At that moment. When Paul uses the word sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, he's referring to an ancient practice of sealing letters or official documents with a wax seal. Hot wax was placed on a document or a signet ring, and it was pressed into the wax, and the sealed documents carried authority of the person who owned the seal. And this practice was seen throughout the Old Testament. You'd see it often. You'd see it in the New Testament. Remember, and I'm going to give you a couple little points under here that's not in your notes. You can write these down if you want. But that seal, it signifies security. Think about um, Daniel. Why was he thrown into the lion's den? Because the king made a decree and sealed it with his signet and it could not be changed. They put a seal on the tomb. Jesus still came out. God's promises and God's sealing us when he saves a soul, the spirit of God moves in and takes up residence in our lives. He comes in and sets his seal on the believer and promises us eternal security in Jesus. Yes, an earthly ruler's um, seal might be broken, but the eternal seal of God upon the believer's heart can never be broken. We see it signifies security, also signifies authenticity. 
A seal of an ancient king would testify to the authenticity of the document to which it was attached. Old Testament, King Ahab had a wife. His, her wife was um, Jezebel. And uh, you don't see very many people name their daughters Jezebel, do you? There's a reason for that. But Jezebel faked some letters from King Ahab and used his signet on there and had Naboth put to death. It, it shows what the, they would show the letters, though they were filled with lies, since they had the king's seal, they were authentic and they were accepted and carried out. And when God saves a soul, the presence of the Holy Spirit in that life declares the authenticity of the believer. It says that we are his. We belong to him. It signifies ownership. And he owns us and praise God for that. A seal is important. When I worked uh, in Bible college, I worked trucking. And I, would, uh, I worked at uh, UPS. And I worked at FedEx. And I worked at a couple of other UPS and FedEx. I felt like I was just playing Tetris all day long. Because you literally were just making all the boxes fit in the right spot. And you had to fill every inch of that truck as best you could. And make sure the zip codes were right. Because if someone else messed up in another spot... But the other place I worked was a place where I got to drive a forklift. And as a college student, forklift was fun. It was fun driving a forklift, especially in the middle of winter and the dock would get a little icy. You'd slide right into the truck. It was fun. You could make it fun. Didn't hurt anybody or anything, but it was fun. And uh, one of the jobs that I got, and so one of the things that would happen is I got to be a loader. Once you move up a little bit, I got to be a loader. Back in those days, they didn't do anything by computers yet. So this is, but this wasn't that long ago. I'm not that old. So I had to write out every, every, piece of, every piece of stuff I put into that truck. I had to write on a piece of paper. And it was the manifest that said everything that was in that truck. And then when we moved out here and when I started pastoring, I went back to trucking for a little bit. And praise God, they had scanners that scanned everything. You scanned the paper, took care of everything. It was wonderful. Well, I started loading there. And my job was to load the trucks up with all the freight. And you would scan all the bills. And so what happened is you'd have a manifest at the end that had all the bills and all the freight on that truck were there. What happened is the driver would back up to the dock. He would pull, he would connect to the trailer. He'd pull out a little bit. I would go out and I'd take the doors. I would seal up the truck and I'd take this plastic seal. Had a number written on it, six numbers. And those six numbers I had to put on the manifest. So when that driver would drive from Ontario here to Chicago or San Diego, wherever, when he got there, the people there would look at the manifest and see a seal number and make sure that no one tampered with the load. I remember one time there was a load of TVs that were going out. And right before I was done working there, and uh, literally the day, I, my last day as I'm leaving, one of my bosses was getting arrested and three of the employees at the place because what they do? They broke a seal off a truck and stole a bunch of TVs. They put a new seal on that was one number different. But someone caught on to the fact that it was one number different and they were able to locate what had happened. But that seal was placed on the truck to keep the thing safe and secure inside. And what I remind you of is the fact that when God saves us, He sealed you. Meaning that you're His and no, no one can change that. What he did for you cannot be undone. And then we see lastly today, as we're just about done here, we see the promise of a sharing work. We see it seen in the saving work. It's seen, 
seen in his sealing work, and letter C, we see it's seen in his securing work. Look at verse 14, and we're done. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Paul tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the earnest of our inheritance. He even call, he's even called the spirit of promise. The word earnest means money that is given in a purchase, a down payment which guarantees that the balance will be paid. If you've ever financed a car before, and they check your credit and all those things, sometimes based on your credit, you, if you want a lower interest rate, you have to give a certain amount of money down because they want to make sure that you're good for the loan that you're getting. You buy a house, you give a down payment. So for us as Christians... The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God, we're sealed into the day of redemption. But at that moment, God says, I'm going to give you a down payment on what you get for all eternity. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, a promise. And he will be with you. He'll never leave you. Get this. It's a taste of heaven on earth. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go as he pleased. He did not have to stay settled in anyone. But in the New Testament, God says, as we see here, the earnest of our inheritance. And what happens here is God says, here you go. I redeemed you. I purchased you. I'm giving you a home in heaven. Here's a down payment. Have the Holy Spirit with you. He'll guide you in all truth. He'll be there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The word earnest has the idea of guarantee. It's the same word used to speak of an engagement ring. When a man gives a woman an engagement ring, he's making a pledge to that woman. He is promising to be faithful to her, to love her, and he's planning at some point he will take her to himself someday. That's what the Lord promises to us when he saved us. He's faithful to us. He loves us. And then one day, he's going to come and take us to be with him forever. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, the Lord says, here's your down payment you get to have the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. Old Testament, the Spirit would just come and go as he pleased. God did not just stay constantly with man. The disciples got three years with Jesus. And you've got God the Spirit with you all the time. Think of the song, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The blessings we get today in him. We're a blessed people today. And this morning there's two types of people saying in this room, or maybe just one. I hope there's only one type, but there could be two. The first type of person can be the person who's not saved this morning. And do you know how you know that you're not saved? Are you right? Because the Spirit of God's convicting you right now about it. I started teaching this week in uh, the Bible college that I teach at. 
and uh, on Wednesday my class was, and I had six students in that class. And I always, the first day of class, I always, ha- always have them give their testimonies, and I get to learn more about them, especially students I didn't know at all. And three of the six said, well, I, th- I had doubts for years sitting in church, and I was afraid what people would think of me. And they're like, after a while, I finally did it. I asked them a question. And so, when you finally got up and got sh- the assurance of your salvation, was there anyone in your church mad at you? How could you have lied to us all these? No one gets that way. No one's but happy for you. If you're here and you don't know Christ and you're not sure of it, get that settled. And you know who I'm talking to this morning if you're here and you're that way. Second type of person is a Christian. When's the last time you just praise God for his working in your life? We should be a living praise box for the Lord all the time. We can never thank him enough for what he's done, but we should sure try. Father, I'd love